With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Forest Podcast, where we're going to look back at last night's Carabao Cup defeat at home to Burnley. Forest fell to an 89th minute goal from Zeki Amduni in an otherwise quite boring game, if we're honest, and they couldn't get another goal back in the 11 minutes of stoppage time that were indicated, uh, meaning that they fall out and Burnley go into the next round to face Salford away. We make a few changes as well from the Manchester United podcast. Make sure you listen to that if you haven't. Uh, Stephen and Tom are replaced by myself, George, your host, and Adam. You okay, Adam? Yep, all good, mate. All good. Yep. Nice one. And we'll look straight at the team news then. So from that Old Trafford defeat, Forrest made seven changes. The four that remained in the lineup were goalkeeper Matt Turner, uh, two at the back, Serge Aurier and Willie Bolly, and Ryan Yates to captain the side in the absence of Joe Worrell, who obviously got sent off at Old Trafford. So Forrest played with Matt Turner in goal, a back three of Willie Bolly, Moose Niakate and Serge Aurier. Nico Williams played at the left uh, wing-back role with a debut for Gonzalo Montiel at right wing-back. Another debut in midfield for Andre Santos alongside Cheku Priate and Ryan Yates with Chris Wood and Anthony Alanga, the attacking two in the side. Morgan Gibbs-White, Tyra Wanyu, Harry Toffolo, Felipe, Brennan Johnson, Ethan Horvath, Kwangi Joe, Brandon Aguilera and Ola Aina were on the bench. Uh, so seven changes. Are they changes you were happy to see, Adam? Or was there anyone you felt could have started instead? Yeah, look, I think when you're playing in the League, the league Cup, you're going to have a, a wholesale of changes, even if you're playing a Premier League opposition. You know, it's not... I think you put yourself in a situation where you've got Chelsea on Saturday, so you've not got a lot of rest in between these two games. So the changes were definitely necessary. I was glad to see Turner stay in goal. I think changing your goalkeeper is... I wouldn't change your goalkeeper too regularly. You know, they want to build up that confidence. But yeah, it was a good look. I, I looked at the team when it came out and I felt that is a strong enough side to beat Burnley tonight. It was nice to see Alanga start. Um, I think Wood probably deserved a start after... Um, he's heroic against Sheffield United. So, yeah, look, no no complaints with the team news when it came out. And Burnley themselves made 10 changes, so it was clear sort of both sides 
uh, intense and focus wasn't really on the League Cup. Uh, the game started with a moment's applause for the officer, police officer Graham Savile, uh, who died in the line of duty uh, following his heroic efforts uh, on the train line. So we applaud both sets of fans for that. Uh, and the game was quite a slow start, really, pretty much how the game went on. Um, but I don't know about you, Adam, I thought it was pretty clear that Forrest lacked any creativity in the midfield with the omission of Gibbs-White. And they look quite narrow with sort of no wide players and often Ryan Yates attacking down the right-hand side. So pretty lacklustre start. Uh, yeah, I think to be honest, I mean, it's, it's not something we want to say too often in that. And obviously I'm a massive supporter of Steve Cooper, but I think he got it wrong last night um, with the selection of the team was fine. It was more how we set up that was the issue. Um, because you had obviously Yates, Santos and Kiarte in midfield. Now, Yates and Kiarte is, you know, obviously is relatively defensive in itself. The reason that I thought it might set up differently is because in pre-season, obviously Yates played a bit more as an advancing number eight. So he was actually able to get close to the box and, you know, try and get a goal or two like he did against Levante in pre-season. So I felt that it was going to be a Kiarte sitting and Yates and Santos would have a bit more free reign to try and get forward and carry the ball. But it didn't really turn into that. It more turned into all three of them sat with one of them at once, maybe sort of pushing on like Yates. He found himself right wing a couple of times and to be fair to him, didn't know really what to do with it. But that's not really his game and that's understandable. Um, and I felt Santos on the night was... He just didn't look match fit to me. He didn't look as sharp as he needed to be. Um, th- there's definitely a lot of talent there. I mean, he's 19 years old and he, you know, he kept the ball away, looked short in possession, but just really lacked a little bit of that sort of match fitness. But yeah, I mean, I felt for Alanger and Wood on the night as well because they really couldn't get that involved in the game. Um, they were sort of marked out of it a little bit. And, you know, the way that Burnley set up was you know, they played a 4-2-3-1, but the the right back inverted to play as one of those two DMs because uh, Nathan Redmond, funny enough, started as one of the DMs, which was a really strange one. But he almost played as the number 10 that breaks the lines. And then when he goes forward, the right back tucks into that DM position, which it gave them a lot of the ball, but obviously it didn't really create anything. So first half, to be honest, was it was like a boxing match where neither boxer lands any big hits on each other. Yeah, that's about right. And I suppose you didn't really know what to expect from Santos as much, but in the end, he was probably the most defensive of the three midfielders. Like you say, sort of sitting in the hole, it was Kayate and Yates as a, a midfield sort of partnership, which didn't really work that favourably, I don't think. And and often, because of Burnley, were sort of playing very narrow. We had space down the wings, but didn't exploit it. Williams often had a lot of space, but nothing happened. Um, and Burnley sort of pressed us well in areas, didn't they? They had five corners in the first half, but... I never really felt threatened by them at all. I'm not sure about you, Adam. I, not for the 90, to be honest. I mean, they, they didn't really create an awful lot. Uh, they had a lot of the ball. And I think the most frustrating thing for me is that we allowed them to play their game. We allowed them to play the way that they wanted to play. You know, when you're at home, you know, you want to be probably pressuring them a little bit more. And it's something that Steve Cooper's touched on that for last season, we probably gave teams a little bit too much respect. And, I did agree with that, but last night it kind of felt as if we, that respect from last season of the big teams that come to the city ground had almost come back in the form of playing Burnley. And I think that was the problem first half. We, we, we were more bothered and I couldn't understand it, but we were more bothered about just stay, sitting back, staying in, holding position. We didn't actually look 
to really move the ball quickly to get on the counter-attack. But that's the problem. We play in transition and we didn't, when we got the ball back off Burnley, like you say, there were there was gaps both sides. You know, when your right-back's inverted to play midfield, it leaves that big gap on the side, which both full-backs were. So that that gap is left. And you've got someone like Antti Langer, who's probably one of the fastest players in the Premier League. You know, you'd imagine, wouldn't you, that you'd play that ball out wide, you'd play that ball into the channels. But it just felt like when we got the ball back, it went backwards or it went sideways. And we lost all that momentum when we got the ball. So we just really, really struggled to get any sort of attacking foothold in the game first half. Yeah, and Cooper in pre-season was saying how playing this more sort of attacking football, especially at home. And obviously we've played those difficult away games and we've got a few more coming up. But you'd have felt that maybe at home to Sheffield United and Burnley, Forest would have attacked those games a bit more, but that's something that's not really happened. Uh, Their biggest chance of the half came on 38 minutes. It was after Burnley's burned possession inside the half and Chris Wood ran onto it on the right wing. Uh, He got into a decent position and his cross was deflected into the path of Cheku Kuyate uh, and his sort of half volley flew into the Bridgeford end and was never covering former Forest Loney, R.O. Murich uh, in the goal. But I have to say, like you say, I thought Chris Woods, people around me were sort of not happy with him, but I don't think anyone is happy with him at the minute, really. Um, he's won a few more fans over with that goal, but there's still quite a lot of moaning about him. But, you know, I thought he got himself around a bit and he had no service at all. I mean, Alanga and Woods were fighting off scraps, really. So I thought the pair of them, like you say, did the best they could. Yeah, and I, look, with Wood last night, I don't think he did anything wrong particularly. You know, like I he really didn't get a lot of the ball when, you know, centre forwards thrive off that. I think people watch Taiwo, who is the sort of player that backs into defenders, the sort of player that will chase a loose ball and get it, um, the sort of player that just breezes past defenders. He's also a centre forward that scored nine goals in seven Premier League games. He's clearly a really top class centre forward. Wood is not the same player as Taiwo, even though Wood is tall and big, I think people expect him to be similar to Taiwo and he's not. Um, but last night I felt like he was chasing down, he was chasing down the goalkeeper, he's, he was pressing, he, he looks fitter, he looks sharper. I think he looks absolutely fine. And I think if he was given an opportunity at any point, you know, I, w- I would have been inclined to think he takes it. But it's difficult because we just didn't progress the ball well enough um, to that front two. And like I say, if, you're com- if, if anyone was saying after the game that Chris Wood had a bad game, then equally Ang- Anthony Langer had a bad game, right? Because he didn't touch the ball as much, you know, and he didn't really have get that involved. The only time Alanga got involved really is when Gibbs White came on in the second half. So you can't really say that Wood had a poor game because he wasn't given anything. And the Kiate chance we had in the first half that you mentioned was probably one of the only chances in the first half. I feel if that falls to Wood, he does better with it. Puts it on target at least. So it's just one of those things. I think people will always, it's the same with any football club, but I think fans will have an agenda towards a certain player. And, you know, it's like the fans that don't like Joe Worrell. Anytime he makes a mistake now, it's just, they just pile on him. Do you know what I mean? And I think, I think that's kind of what it is with Chris Wood, to be honest. Yeah. And, and it's obviously very hard to be like Tower, a one year fan favourite and such a clinical goal scorer. So let's hope that Wood can step up in the African Cup of Nations and, Maybe Forrest might get a striker through the door before the transfer window is over. So Burnley's only real chance of the half came in stoppage time of the first half. It was Josh Brown, their captain from the edge of the box, uh, who had a shot from the sort of left-hand side. And it was never really troubling, uh, troubling Matt Turner. 
Uh, so at halftime, it was nil-nil. It was certainly one to forget. I don't think the fact that Forrest played five defenders and three harder midfielders uh, helped the game, um, but neither team did anything really to uh, get themselves ahead. So, yeah, no spark or connection between the sides. And I don't think the defence looked that solid either. I think near Kate, uh, Bolly and Aurier, wasn't it, a back three? I was sort of unsure with Aurier being the, the centre-back in there. So how do you think the defence got on? Uh, you know, I felt I felt like they held the line. Um, I think Burnley really struggled to break the lines in the first half. So I think to a point you could argue that at least they did that well. But Aurier is a weird one for me because I don't mind him playing centre-back. And it, it's been talked about quite a bit that he is a bit more positionally sound than he gets credit for. So I don't mind him playing centre-back. But you're essentially taken away from what Aurier is good at is... Um, crossing the ball you know we saw that against Sheffield United he created both goals we saw it at Tottenham as well um, that he's a very good crosser of the ball he likes to get into good positions and cross the ball I kind of I, I don't know about you I've got this weird thing at the minute that when Steve Cooper was at Swansea he loved to play the back three but he played it so differently he played it in a, a much more attacking sense I don't know that if that this team and this personnel in the Premier League works as well with a back three because I think it just stifles the creativity um, and then in the second half obviously we'll, we'll touch on it when we get to it but we we, play, we switched to 4-2-3-1 and it just completely changed how we played so I don't have an issue with the back three at all and I, I'm inclined to think that any any formation can work however you want it to work there's no such thing as a defensive formation in my opinion there, there never really has been if you've got a back three with wing backs you saw how we played in the championship. We played a back three with wing backs, and you know we we we, like we beat Swansea five 0 at home, and we scored plenty of goals and created lots of chances. And that we you know that we we haven't seen that in the Premier League, and it's not going to be easy to replicate because it's a much more difficult league. But if you can't play that way in the Premier League, then I think you've got to go with the back four. I, I just think that it benefits us a lot more. Yeah, and it gives you sort of more impetus in the midfield, which I think in the Premier League is where games can be lost and won. I think we found that early on last season when we started with the five, didn't we? And then pretty much very quickly switched to the four. We had, so it was Cook and McKenna playing together a lot, uh, which was a bit worrying at times, but it was all about beefing up that midfield and allowing players like Gibbs White to be more central because, you know, I think when he's thrown on the left wing, he's not as effective when he has to be in that position. So, I think towards the end of the half, we had a front four, didn't we, of Gibbs White, Awanyi, Elanga and Johnson. And that's the sort of thing that we want to see, really, isn't it? Yeah, because you've got that 4-2-3-1. You know, obviously, Gibbs White playing as the 10 with Johnson and Elanga either side. And it, and it says a lot about Gibbs White because the first thing he did, the first touch he made was a ball that completely broke the line of Burnley and Brennan Johnson got on the end of it and got in behind. And that's the difference between a player like Morgan Gibbs White is that when you when he plays, when you get him on the ball, even against these stern defenses that, or you know these teams that are quite strong at the back, it just takes one bit of magic from him to to get us on the front foot, to get us in behind. And I understand him not starting last night. And if I was picking the team last night, I wouldn't have started him either because I think he's in desperate need of a break. I really do. Like you know, he's he plays every single game. He do, he never really comes off as a sub. So I think he needs the break and I think it's absolutely fine going into Chelsea. Um, I think one thing that people that were having a bit of a social media meltdown last night need to remember is that 
the League Cup is great and last season we had a really good League Cup run we got to the semi-final but the league is what's important and, and that is where the focus needs to lie so you understand the changes and you understand maybe the changes system yeah so uh, as we came into the second half I suppose we knew that something exciting would happen in the game hopefully finally with either a winning goal have to be scored or a penalty shootout uh, I think the second half was a bit more open I think both teams were sort of elaborated to going forward a bit more. Uh, Forrest had a chance pretty early, about seven or eight minutes into the half, where Alanga burst down the left-hand side, got a cross in, and Ryan Yates, I think he had two stabs at it, and in the end, sent his shot into the side netting. We had a few chances from Nathan Redmond, who had a distant strike. Um, and then Forrest had a chance on the counter with Elanga from a, it was a Burnley corner, and he got away, and he was looking like he was sort of getting through on goal. Uh, but Josh Brownhill took him down on halfway before he could get that one-on-one one with the goalkeeper. So a pretty more open start to the second half, would you say, Adam? I think so, yeah. I mean, you know, both teams came out a little bit more. Um, and I, I just want to point out, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a, a steady first half where you just keep the ball out of your net. You know, there's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, but yeah, we came out a little bit more second half. You know, we we tried to take advantage of the pace we have on the counter-attack and, you know, obviously that's how we play. That's what we, we all know. That's how we play. Um, and to be honest, Burnley, again, didn't really create a lot of clear-cut chances. You know, they, like you say, Redmond had a couple of pot shots from sort of 20, 30 yards out. But as regards to a clear-cut chance and, you know, carving our defence open, they didn't really do it an awful lot, to be honest. Um, obviously, we had Yates' header as well in the second half that just... It, well, sitting in the Trent end, we, we thought that was nestling past Mirage, especially when he dives to his right. Um, it doesn't look like he's getting anywhere near it. I thought that's, that, that's nestling in the far corner and then obviously didn't. Um, just a quick one to point out on Mirage, by the way. I thought he was absolutely outstanding last night. Um, I, I, don't, I don't remember him really misplacing a pass. You know, I think that really helped the way that Burnley played because every time he got the ball, he would look up, he was calm, he would, he would find a Burnley player um, and, that, and that's a big part of how they play. He's come on so much as a player since he was at Forest. He, you know, he was really poor for us, and he's come on leaps and bounds as a player. And you know, special shout out to him for me. Um, I would say he was man of the match on the night. And it's weird to say a goalkeeper's man of the match when they don't have a lot of saves to make. But it's everything else he did that was that was really good. And it sums it up, doesn't it? Because Forest had no shots on target. So, like you say, he clearly had nothing to do but himself in possession. And you can sort of see why. He was at Man City at that point. And yeah, it was a couple of years ago. He was at Forest, wasn't he? And he made that mistake against West Brom on the opening day. But it looked a far better keeper and certainly a good number two to have, I suppose, in the Premier League with James Trafford ahead of him at the minute. Um, so there was the changes came that we all sort of wanted to see and were hoping that would come with 20 minutes to go. Uh, Montiel uh, was one of the ones that went off. I thought he had a, a solid debut, probably looked a bit better defensively as he did going forward. Um, but what did you think of him on Forest debut? I think the encouraging signs is if we do go back to a back four, I think he'll slot in at right back pretty comfortably. And, you know, he looked, like you say, I thought he was really good one-on-one -on -one defensively. I don't really think he gave a lot away either. I, I think that, you know, I don't think I think the wingers swapped sides in the first half and neither of them got the better of him and that continued into the second half really. I thought it was really, really solid. Um you could see that he's played at the highest level. You know, you could definitely see that. Um so I yeah, really strong debut from him and I I think that Serge Aurier has got a big bit of competition for his 
his place there. Yeah, so he went off alongside Nico Williams and Cheku Kuyate, and Harry Tuffalo came on to play at left wing back alongside Gibbs White and Johnson. Uh, Adam Odd already mentioned the, the thing that happened straight away, really. It was Gibbs White who had it uh, in possession, and he probably saw a pass that no one else on the pitch would see, threaded it through to Burnley players and on for Johnson to sprint down the right hand side. Uh, and it was uh, his cross from the right. Elanga was sort of at the back post, couldn't get to it, and there was no one in the middle. But that just showed Forrest's intensity that Riz rose as soon as uh, those players came on. It meant that Forrest had a lot more of the ball, uh, but Burnley looked a bit better on the counter-attack, which is probably something that maybe they're not as strong as with company. They do like to play uh, build-up and possession. But Forrest sort of looked, took control of the game, I thought, when those players came on. Um, but Burnley probably had the game's biggest chance. It was 75 minutes. Uh, they won it back and Goodmanson played a nice ball over the top. Uh, for Larson, uh, near Kate was sort of shepherded in wide, but he took a touch uh, and then on the edge of the box on the right, sent a low shot towards goal and it just went past the bottom left corner. Um, so Corey Burnley's best chance of the game, I'd say, so far, and it came close there. Well, we thought it was in, obviously, because we, you know, we're Trenton, so we were looking down the other end of the pitch and the way the Matt Turner's reaction made it seem like it was just going to roll into the far corner, but... Yeah, definitely a big chance. I think when we, we when we changed our system, the game did open up a little bit. I, mean, I think we were the better side when when we made those changes. I think we had a bit more of the ball. I think we looked a bit more intent to go and get a winner. Um, and be completely honest, again, I, in absolutely no worry whatsoever that they would go and do anything at the other end because they, they didn't really create an awful lot all night. That chance that you just mentioned there was probably the first clear-cut chance that they really created and it took them 75 minutes to do so, you know. So you take that as a positive in a way, but, you know, we've got to do more at the other end as well. And, you know, we've proved in the last couple of games against United away, you know, and Arsenal away and Sheffield United at home, you know, you've played three games and scored five goals. So clearly we can score goals. It's just we seem to only be able to play that certain way and score those types of goals when Gibbs White plays or when Aouni plays. And we need to maybe make it more of a culture so that when other players come in, they can at least play to the same style, if you like. Yeah. And, and you talk about you thought it was in. I think the whole ground thought that this chance was in. It was Elanga, again, on 79 minutes down the left-hand side. He hit the byline. He got a brilliant cross in. And Ryan Yates was in there, uh, got a headed chance. I thought from the Brian Clough end up, I thought that had nestled right in the top corner. I was up celebrating and it in the end hit the advertising board, I think, and went wide. So I think that was Forrest's biggest chance. And, and in a game with very few chances, you've got to take chances like that, haven't you? Yeah, because he's got a free header as well. I mean, the way he arrives onto it, and, you know, Yates is pretty good at that normally, you know, arriving late and getting his head on the ball. Um I think he just needs to get it on target and it probably goes in because not, there's not a lot Mirich would have been able to do about it because he got so much pace behind the header. Um, good, but but that but you, you, you use the example there of Alanga putting the cross in. That's because Alanga was allowed to do what he's best at when we changed formation. He was allowed to play on the left, you know, get the um, get out and just sort of hug the touchline and run at players. When he was playing as that sort of secondary striker in the first half, he just looked completely lost. So when he was able to get in that position where he takes the defender on one-on-one, he had a couple of opportunities actually towards the last 10 minutes of the game where he took the defender on, beat them and put a ball across. So, yeah, 
chances that you need to take really in a game like this. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so a one you came on uh, with three minutes to go. I think that's probably the right decision because he, he sort of seemed to be made of glass really and you've got to sort of wrap him up in cotton wool because he's such an important player for us. So three minutes plus stoppage time for him to make an impact. Uh, but in the end, in the final minute of the 90 minutes, Burnley uh, got the goal that looked like it would give them the game. It was Sander Berger, a substitute who got it sort of in midfield on the left. Um, and then he got away from two challenges from Yates and uh, I think it was Aurier, strided towards the penalty area uh, and then laid it off to the right-hand side. The cross from Gubbinson was blocked, but it came in the air for Josh Brownhill uh, and his header dropped from substitute Zeki Amdouni, who chested down clinically and volleyed it past uh, Matt Turner com- very good composure really, um, and it was one of two shots on target from Burnley in the whole game. It probably took the the ground by surprise, really, and I have to say I was quite impressed by the Burnley limbs, to be fair, uh, a long travel from them. So they enjoyed that goal, and uh, Forrest then had 11 minutes of stoppage time to try and get themselves back into the game. Yeah, they did enjoy the goal, and fair enough to them. You know, it's a long way to come on a Wednesday night. Um yeah, this game was only the deadlock was only ever going to be broken by a moment of magic or a moment of luck. And you know, I watched the goal back, and there's there's certainly a good bit of fortune to the goal. You know, the way it just drops to him, and he's got that chance. But the defending's got to be better. Like it, it can't get to him. It can't get to that sort of almost like a second or third phase at that point. It can't get to that point. It really can't. And Matt Turner would be fuming because there's nothing he can do about that. I mean, when that ball drops there, there's nothing he can do. Um, I thought Matt Turner just a point on him was his distribution last night was absolutely dreadful his kicking was awful um, kicking it out of play a good couple of times you know but fans last night giving him stick for that seemed to forget that Dean Anderson's kicking was pretty awful in itself so I don't think it's something that we've really had an awful lot of we've not got our Amirich style pinging the ball around but yeah, look, I mean, it's a disappointing goal to concede and I think Steve Cooper would be absolutely fuming with that goal because it really did look destined for a nil-nil and penalties. Yeah, I, th- I think we've, ever since Bree Sambers left, we've never really replaced his distribution at all, have we? I think Wayne Hennessy at times was better than Henderson last season, so um, that says it all, really. Uh, so, in stoppage time, Forrest never really uh, looked like they were going to score. Burnley obviously sat into the goal, made Forrest play it long and try and win some headers and they probably had the only other chance in stoppage time. It was Wilson Odebert who had a one-on-one, uh, and he actually, as he got into the penalty area, had an option to square it. Uh, but it was a good save from Turner with his legs to tip it over um, for a corner. But in the end, Forrest couldn't get uh, the goal that would get them back level into the game, meaning that they came out of the Carabao Cup. So anything you'd have done differently if you were Steve Cooper throughout the game, Adam? I maybe would have just started a bit more on the front foot, to be honest. You know, that midfield three, I would have made Kiate sit, but let Yates and Santos have a bit more of a free roam. You know, the wing backs, I would have made sure they were that they were pushing on and bombing on and giving us that width and exploiting the space that was left by Burnley. Um, but yeah, it's just one of them. Like, I don't think the personnel was wrong to start with, but I think maybe the way they set up was the, the wrong thing. Um I put in our chat last night that I think Steve Cooper needs to take some blame for last night and I, I stick by that. I think he does. Um, I had no issue with the selection, but the way that they set up really wasn't what I would have liked to have seen the setup be. Um, and that first half is just very, very poor. And that the four two three one change that he made, he made it about 70 minutes. He could have made it 10 minutes earlier. 
I don't know. For me last night, there was a lot of morons around me that I've never seen before at a Forest game that were saying Cooper out and all this sort of stuff, which is just absolutely nonsensical. He got it wrong last night, but I mean, he's going to get it wrong at some point. You, you know, he's not going to get it right every game. And I think tactics-wise, we've been pretty spot on last couple of games. The Sheffield United game was a little bit average, but at least we created chances and scored the goals. I think the one point I'd make is I think we just need to, we need to do a bit more at home. We need to be on the front foot a little bit more at home. We need to probably be a bit more attacking at home, especially against the teams that are towards the bottom of the league. Yeah, uh, and just one final thing. Um, Willie Bonney was given man of the match, which, if I'm honest, flummoxed me. I, I don't think it was uh, something you'd have done um, as well, especially with the back four. I thought Niakate and Bonney looked a bit rash, and they both like to sort of step out of defence. So I'm not sure as a back two that works. Um, but if you were to choose man of the match, I'm sure you wouldn't have given it to Bonney. Is there anyone that stood out for you in a forest shirt at all? Oh, not really. <laughs> to be honest, I, I know they've got to give it to a forest player, haven't they? My man of the match was Mirich just for his distribution. But um, no, I mean, if I'm giving it to a forest player, I'd probably give it to Montiel because I don't really think he put a foot wrong. Um, but I'd be really clutching his straws to find a man of the match, to be honest. Uh, so that's it. We're going to talk more about Cooper's post-match reaction and where it leaves Forest after a short break. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. Hello and welcome back as we look back at Forest's Carabao Cup defeat at hands of Burnley last night. Uh, let's look at a few things Cooper said and actually the first thing that he said uh, when Colin Frey asked him about the match, which I think sums it up perfectly, Adam, was... We got what we deserved. We were second best. Yeah. And it's good that he can come out and say that. Because a lot of managers wouldn't. You know, he's but he's come out and said that we did we weren't good we weren't good enough tonight. And that's exactly what every single person in the crowd thought. You know, we Vincent Company got it spot on with his tactics. Um and I think it's as simple as that. We just we weren't we they definitely were the better side. I I completely agree with his point there. Yeah, and he's often very honest, especially in defeat. And I think he's a good loser, which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But yeah, he's very honest. He also said things like technically we were so poor with the ball. We fell short with individual performances. And he also mentioned the fact that set pieces were were poor, which I agree with. I think we had Nico Williams taking a lot of the the set pieces at times until Gibbs White came on, who Gibbs White himself, I'm not that convinced on his set piece delivery, if I'm honest. So that was somewhere really that Forrest lacked as well, didn't they? I'm not convinced we're very creative at all without Gibbs White on the pitch. I think, I think that's a problem. You know, it's, what you know, you never know what's going to happen around the corner. You know, God forbid he gets a season-ending injury. What do we do then? You know, we, we, you've got to have more creative outlets than just one player. You know, Brandon Aguilera came on and did, I think he did really well. I think he did a lot of doggy work. He was really putting himself about. He clearly got a lot of ability, but... He's not being bred into the side, so it's not, you know, I would have started him last night, potentially. That's maybe one, one change I would have made, just because he's a creative presence. 
you know, you could have started him instead of one of the DMs and played him as a 10. Um, but yeah, without Gibbs White, I think we're just really, really struggling for any creativity. Yeah, I think uh, I'd agree with that. Um, he also said that it's about being match ready. Now, I think you mentioned that Santos didn't look too fit, but on debut, how did you rate his performance in the whole? I thought he was okay. I think he was steady. You know, I, I couldn't give him any more than a, a six out of 10 last night. A um, couple of times he wasted the ball, but majority of the time he was pretty assured in possession and, you know, he's 19 years old. I mean, we we can't expect that he's going to come in and just hit the ground running and be an absolute world midfielder. He's not going to do that. He's he's going to take time and he's going to take a lot of patience from the fan base. Um, but I'll be honest with you, if we end up bringing in Ndidi or we end up bringing in Sangare, whoever we actually managed to get over the line, Dominguez is coming in as well. Um, I don't really see where Santos gets in the side. Yeah. And it makes it a bit of a strange loan signing for me. If if you sign Dominguez and indeed, I mean, in your best 11, do you start Santos? Because I don't think I do, really. And that's no, that's nothing against him. It's just that he's a 19-year-old kid with not a lot of experience. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Cooper also said that it's got nil-nil written all over it, which I'd probably concur with. Uh, and he did say uh, that cup runs created a lot of positivity around the place. Um, so do you think the fact that Forest aren't in the cup might hinder their season or do you think it's you know just something they can reset now and focus on the league until the FA Cup comes around? No, I don't think I don't think it's an issue at all. I mean we got knocked out in the FA Cup by Blackpool, didn't we? And you know, it didn't it didn't wreck the rest of the season. You know, we still kicked on and stayed up stayed in the division. So I, I'm not worried about that at all. I mean it's you know, Leeds got knocked out by lower league opposition, you know what I mean? Like it it happens every year, doesn't it? Spurs got knocked out by Fulham. Like yeah. the cup is just the cup, and it's one of the things I'm not too concerned about it. I don't think anyone should be really. Yeah. Uh, so looking ahead, Forest can now, I suppose, focus on the league starting at Saturday with their away fixture against Chelsea. So I'd assume that probably most of the changes will be reversed. But is there anyone you'd like to see back uh, in the defence instead of Worrell? Obviously, Felipe was on the bench, so I think that was a promising sign as well. I'd like to see a back four and you know, I think the I think the best back four we have at the minute is Montiel, Felipe, Neocarte and well, potentially Aina. Yeah. So that's the best back four we have currently. So I think that's what I'd like to see. But Felipe's fitness is going to be the concern. Uh, I don't mind Neocarte and Bolly in a way, but they they are, like you say, similar players that both want to step out. So that makes it harder. I think you'll probably end up seeing Neocarte and Bolly on Saturday though, I would imagine. Yeah, and one thing I also noticed is that Forrest have been hesitant to use near Cate's long throw-ins. I mean, they had a few chances yesterday, but Bolly was sort of left of the centre-backs and didn't take it. And and in the games that he came onto, he's not taken any. So is that something that maybe you'd like to see Forrest do a bit more? Well, I don't really understand the logic behind it because it seems like we had this great weapon last year of... The, the long throw and now he doesn't do it <laughs> it's just it's a bit of a strange one like remember against Liverpool away and you know games like that where it caused all sorts of problems and I, I'm I'm a bit con- confused really why we've stopped doing it so yeah I would love to see that come back to be honest yeah so uh, it's also been a big week off the pitch for Forrest we've had Nicholas Randall replaced by Tom Partledge um, as CEO after about six years Randall in charge Forrest also, uh, on the day of the match, announced a new front-of-shirt sponsor uh, that's Kayan Sports, an Asian betting company, which has uh, also caused some backlash 
Uh, we'll be talking uh, a bit more about that uh, on the big podcast we're going to do in the international break. But sort of any small thoughts you've got on that, Tom? Uh, Adam, sorry. No, I don't like it. Obviously, I put it in the group chat. I don't, I don't like gambling sponsors anyway. Um, I think that the ban on gambling sponsors for 2026 is completely justified. I don't think they should exist in the game. Um, I don't think you can have rules in place that players can't gamble and players get severe punishments like Ivan Tony has and then make them wear Hollywood bets on the front of the shirt in Brentford sense. You know what I mean? It's it, it's really counterproductive to me. So, I, yeah, no, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of it. I think, I, yeah, I think the, the money bringing into the club is great and that's the only positive for me, to be honest. Yeah, and um, we'll talk about that more in the big podcast that we'll be having in the international break. So make sure you listen out for that. Uh, the meeting is ticking down. I can see we've got two minutes 30 left. So I'm just going to touch quickly on transfer deadline day. There's loads of names floating around, like Dominguez, like you say, Hudson Adoy, goalkeeper Vlakadimos. We've got Murillo, Nuno Tavares, and Michi Batshuayi. Is there any names that stick out for you there, Tom, that you'd like to see? Adam, sorry. I don't know why I keep saying Tom. I should hope I'm a bit better looking than Tom, to be honest. Well, but, yeah, I you know what I mean? <laughs> it's because his name keeps no. popping up on the chat. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I think that we need... Um, I, I, there's a couple of players there that I'd say we desperately need. Um, a couple of players there that I'm not too keen on, but I just trust the recruitment. You know, like, for example, Nuno Tararez, I'm not a massive fan of. Um, I know a lot of people point to the fact that he scored six goals for Marseille last year. He did, but... I don't know, like, it, I think if we want to go back to the four-back, I don't think he suits that formation, really. So, I don't know. It's it's a weird one for me, um, that one. But, you know, like like I say, I'm willing to give any player that comes in, you know, a fair fair chance, fair crack at the whip. Dominguez, I'm really excited for. I think I posted in our group chat in about June, July that he's a player that I wanted us to go for. So, I'm chuffed to bits that we are. And the way that we're doing business, we're getting rid of a bit of deadwood at the same time because, obviously, Freud is not in the plans. Yeah. So to bring him in and to give him, you know, to bring in Dominguez and send Freud the other way is just, um, it's a good bit of business all around. So now I'm excited. You know, we'll see what happens before Friday. Yeah. When the pod goes out, some of these signings may probably have happened. So it might be a bit behind the times. Uh, but yeah, transfer deadline day on Friday. Make sure you listen out for that. Uh, so I think we'll leave it there. Forrest exit the Carabao Cup at the first hurdle at home to Burnley. Thanks to Adam for joining me. And thank you, listener. We'll be back following the Chelsea game with a match report. But until then, see you later. Goodbye. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.